0: Hi, I'm Shane Robertson and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God.
1: take the next few moments and open up the altar Um, instead of doing a a typical special music song I really believe that the Lord is asking us to examine our hearts And um, so I'm going to sing I Surrender All just a a couple of verses a few verses however long it takes Uh, but the altars are open if the spirit of God is pointing something out that you need to let go of would encourage you to do that Um, it's a lot more difficult to hear his word and receive it and let it change us when we're holding on to things I know that's true of my experience in my relationship with him so just take advantage of this time I would invite you even to close your eyes and just a spirit of prayer and ask God to show you what things he's uh, wanting to uh, take off of your plate so to speak
0: beautiful hymn. Thank God for that. And that's the key, really the key to commitment is surrendering to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we're going to see today. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to find Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 10. This is part two of a three-part series of sermons that uh, we are looking at in regards to Saul's Life. Uh, We have been reintroduced to this man named Saul, and the whole purpose for this, the whole purpose for looking at this, is because we as born-again children of God, we want to live our lives with biblical clarity. We want people to be able to look at us and say they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Bible is God's Word, and the Bible is changing them, living with biblical clarity. And in looking at this, we have said in the book of Acts, we were introduced to this man by the name of Saul, who was a very vicious, vicious man in regards to attacking Christianity. His desire was to snuff out Christianity in the first century. That was his job, that was his task. That's what he wanted to do. God, however, not wanting anyone to be lost, but wants everyone to come to repentance knocked Saul off of his horse while he was on the way to Damascus and asked him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads, he said. And we said that that series of events that took place was like the very first scene in a three-part act. And that first scene, we called, was Saul's conversion. And we looked at that last week, where Saul was converted and was born again. And then the scene shifts in chapter 10, or excuse me, chapter nine, verse 10. and then we see a scene two take place where we're introduced to another individual, a man by the name of Ananias. Now Ananias is introduced and asked to go by God. He's asked by God to go to a man by the name of Judas's house, where Saul was taken after he was converted. Now remember, Saul at his conversion, when he trusted Christ as his personal Savior and Lord, he was blinded. He's been blind now for three days. Not only is he blinded and been blind for three days, he's also not eating anything, and he's praying. God showed up in a vision to Saul and told Saul in a vision that there would be a man by the name of Ananias that would come and lay his hands on him and give him his sight back and fill him up with the Holy Spirit. This is that scene today. And in this scene, we see the overarching topic of commitment. Now, let me say this. We as uh, Southerners, especially Northeast Georgianers, we know a thing or two about commitment. I mean, you just take uh, our love for college football. Can I get a witness right there? Yeah, we're committed to the team. Do we got any committed Bulldog fans out there today? It's all right. I know you are. Uh, You you know that your pastors uh, he's committed. He's committed to the University of Alabama. There are some that are committed to Georgia Tech. And there are others that are committed to Tennessee. Bless their hearts today. But the bottom line is simply this. We know a thing or two about commitment. We're committed. Win or lose. Good and bad times. We're committed. And those that aren't committed, we call them fair weather fans. They're just for whoever's winning. They're just fair weather fans. They're not really committed. Because if you're really committed, then you're going to pull for your team even when they, when they go 0-10. Uh, I mean, you're, gonna just, you're going for it. You're, you're with them 100% all the way. You're surrendered to following that team. The same is true in regards to Jesus Christ all the more. If we want to be committed to him, we've got to be surrendered to him every single day. Notice what the Bible says beginning in verse number 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying, and in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Let me say something parenthetically if I could. Remember the whole purpose of Saul going to Damascus. Is he has received arrest warrants to go into Damascus. And to capture and torture and persecute and imprison and even kill born-again children of God. So you see Ananias' hesitation here. He's saying, the chief number one enemy, God, is in Damascus. I don't think he really got saved. He killed Stephen. He has persecuted many believers. I just don't know if this is the the right guy you got here, Lord. But the Lord said to him, in verse number 15, Go, because... He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Let me say something parenthetically if I could one more time here in verse number 15. God's got a plan for each one of your lives. For everyone here, God's got a plan for your life. And that plan that God has for your life needs to line up in accordance with his will. It doesn't matter how far gone you think you are. It doesn't matter how deep in sin you think you are. God's got a plan for you, and he's calling you out of that darkness into the light. And he wants to use you for for his glory, his honor, and his praise. Verse 17, the Bible says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So when he received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, That He is the Son of God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of His Word. When you read this passage of Scripture, there is no doubt commitment is written all over it. And in this commitment, we see the commitment of two born-again children of God. One brand-new Christian that was just born again. And the other... A commitment of a man who obviously loves God. One that was called a disciple. One that was commissioned and given a task by God to do something that Peter and John and the rest of the apostles did not have the opportunity to do. To go and to see a man saved in such a way that it has never been done before in that way. And for this man to put his hands on the chief enemy number one that he might receive his sight so that he can be a light to the Gentiles, that he might see kings come to know Jesus Christ, and that he might see Israel come to know Christ as Savior, we find here a man by the name of Ananias, who is so committed by God, even when he doesn't feel like it, does something for the Lord Jesus Christ in the act of obedience. Let me show you two things about this passage of Scripture that teaches us about commitment. What does it take to be committed to Jesus Christ there are two things we notice in this passage of Scripture in this narrative in this scene if you would number one the first one is this commitment takes courage commitment takes courage in verses 10 through 16 we see the courage that Ananias and Saul had to have Ananias had to have great courage To go see chief enemy, number one, who has heard from others and by God that he truly has been saved. You sense and see in the voice of Ananias some doubt. He makes an appeal to God in such a way to say, do you really want me to do this? Is this something, this doesn't make any sense to me. Are you sure you want me to go to this man named Judas' house and lay my hands on Saul, the persecutor? And God says, Go. I want you to go. Commitment takes courage. And then I want you to think about the courage that Saul must have had for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. After his conversion, now here he is in a house by the name of this house that belongs to a man by the name of Judas. The last time Saul heard the name Judas was when Judas Iscariot sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and ended up hanging himself. When we think about that and we think about how that particular thing went down, Saul clearly understood in regards to why Judas put himself on that noose and killed himself that day. Judas had come to the same conclusion that uh, Saul had come to. And that is Jesus Christ is God. And Judas killed himself because he turned over the Son of God. And here we find Saul, who's been knocked off his horse, whom God has blinded with a light. He's blind for three days. He's in a house who belongs to a man named Judas, who ended up killing the Son of God along with everyone else's sin. And here he is going, I don't know how long I'm supposed to be here. God didn't say if I was going to be here one day, 10 days, 12 days, three years. I'm just here. I'm blind. I can't see. And until this man named Ananias shows up, I'm not going to be able to see. And then when I receive my sight, I'm going to have an assignment to go against the very ones that I have have been commissioned by to persecute born-again children of God. Man, it took great courage on Saul's part to stay put and to wait for God to move. It reminds me of a story I witnessed firsthand in Indonesia. We had went to a little island called Makian Timor. And as we were at that island, I got on the back of a motorcycle. I was following the missionary around, and we were touring this very small island. And as we were touring this island, we got stopped. And as we got stopped, there was an individual that was just, he was speaking their language. And he just, he was upset. He was upset. And the bottom line was, the missionary turned and said, I tell you what, I'm going to leave you with your driver. You're going to be fine. This is a small line, and you're not going anywhere. It took us three days to get there. He says, you're not going to get lost. Uh, we, we know who you are, where you are. The other team members are in the city. He says, I've been called to the chief magistrate's office. We're in trouble. Well, they, they don't like us here. Here we are. We just, they, we've just showed up in their hearts and minds. He says, I need to go meet with the chief magistrate because it looks like we all might be spending the night in jail. I thought, wonderful, wonderful. I get to start a prison ministry. This is great. The only problem is I don't speak any of the language. This is going to be wonderful. I can't wait. All right. So I got back on the motorcycle. We went back into the city. As we get back into the city, our whole team is waiting outside the magistrate's office, waiting for the missionary to uh, appear to see whether or not we're going to go single file into jail or whether or not we're going to be set free. I found it interesting, though, before the missionary left me, he turned to the interpreter and he says, I want you to go get the imam. Now this was, again, Indonesia, the largest um, Islamic uh, region in all the world. It's highly controlled by Islam. The imam, uh, there's imams in every location of Indonesia. On this island, there were two. However, one of them was gone. The older uh, imam was gone. The younger imam was there. And so as uh, the imam comes into the office, they were in there for a little while... And all of a sudden they all came out and the missionary turned and he said this to us. He says, we're free to go. We're welcome on the island. And we naturally said, what happened? What happened that changed the magistrate's mind? Because one, one we're in trouble with the possibilities of going to prison. And the next, we're set free and we've got free run of the island. What happened? He said, the imam came in. The imam came in and stood between me and the magistrate. And pointed his finger at the magistrate and said, Don't lay a hand on this person or any of his friends. This man is my friend. And this man is here at my invitation. He has free reign over all the island. Whatever he wants to do, whatever they want to see, whatever they want to learn, they're free to go and come and go as they please. And the magistrate turned and said, Yes, sir. And dropped all the charges, dropped everything, and we were free to go. The courage that I want to refer to in that true story is this. The missionary who had differing beliefs with the Islamic imam went to the island by himself several weeks before we got there and set up an appointment with him to talk to the imam and build a relationship with him and ask for an invitation that we might come. This man, this missionary, all by himself, went to that island knowing that he could be put in prison, knowing that he could uh, be put in shackles and chains, knowing that they could reject him, knowing that they could even possibly kill him. And nobody would know out there in the middle of nowhere the courage that he had. What gave him that courage? How did you know to go so many weeks ahead of time for us to come to this island and visit? And what he said lined up with this passage of Scripture perfectly. Let me show you what I'm talking about. You see, the courage of that missionary was so inspiring. I wanted to know, how did he build his courage to do that? And it's the very same courage that Ananias experienced here in this text. Number one, the first thing, if you want to build your courage as a born-again believer, that is to say, if you're committed to Jesus Christ, and you know that that commitment takes courage. But you are weak in your courage. And you want to build up that courage inside of you. The number one thing you've got to do, you have to know God's voice. Look at verse number 10 again. The Bible says in, the, in this passage of Scripture, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias? And Ananias said, Here I am, Lord. Here is the difference This is the difference between a lost person and a saved person that's committed to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Let me call your attention to chapter 9 again in verse 5 Remember what Paul said when God spoke to to Saul? In verse number 5 the Bible says Saul turned to, to God and said who are you Lord? Who are you Lord? But Ananias, when he heard God's word, when he heard God speak, he said, here I am, Lord. I want to ask you a question today, dear friend. Do you know the voice of God? And when God speaks to you very plainly, do you say, here I am, Lord? See, I believe that in 2020, we're living in a day and an age where God's voice is not silent. It's just as loud today as it was in the first century. And he speaks just as plainly today as he does, as he has done in days gone by. And the reason why we're in such the state that we're in is that we have stopped listening to God. You you just watch culture. You watch culture. If If you say you listen to God, you'll be looked at like a freak. You mean to tell me you listen to an invisible being? No, I listen to the Almighty. That's who I listen to. The Bible tells us this, Uh, the Bible says in John chapter 10 verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the whole reason why I'm here today is because I heard his voice. The whole reason why I got saved is I heard his voice. Is there anybody in this house that has heard the voice of God? Oh, brothers and sisters in Jesus, if you didn't hear his voice, you didn't get saved. And then the the question begs, what does he sound like, preacher? What does he sound like? What does does God sound like? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible is very clear. How does does a believer hear the voice of God? Listen to what Scripture says. Remember, Saul, who later changed his name to Paul, which is the same, one, one Hebrew, one Greek. We find here in the text, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Saul, who changed his name to Paul, wrote this to the Romans. He said this to the Romans. He said, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. What does God's voice sound like? It sounds like the word of God. What then is the word of God? Ooh, I hold in my hand the precious word of God. Without any mixture of error, you can trust it 100%. When you look at the Word of God, you hear the voice of God. And what does the voice of God? You say, well, I, I, like to listen, uh, I like to listen to music. I, get, I hear God's voice through music. You better listen to me very carefully. If you're not careful and it don't line up with the Word of God, it ain't God's voice. God doesn't cause confusion. He doesn't speak in confusing ways. If you Listen, I'm not saying God can't speak to you through music. You listen to me very good. But I'm telling you, if that music doesn't line up with the principles of the Word of God, it's not of God. It ain't of God. It's got to line up with the Word of God. They say, well, I like to to, uh, hear it from God through uh, visions and dreams. I I like to hear God's Word. Uh, That's fine. That's good. But it better line up with the Word of God. It may just be that bad taco you had at Taco Bell. You see, God's not a God of confusion. Do you believe in dreams and visions, preacher? I do, man. There are people all over the Middle East who do not have a copy of the Word of God, who are not privileged to have the Scriptures in front of them. And there's reports coming from Southern Baptist missionaries that are saying that these Islamic individuals are seeing dreams of Jesus, the Son of God, coming and saying that He is the resurrection and the life. And they're seeking out Baptist missionaries, asking them, and missionaries, independent missionaries, and saying, what is this all about? and they're giving their heart uh, to Jesus Christ. There's a book out there, it's been written for several years now, it's called uh, Fresh Wind in the House of Islam speaking to the fact that these dreams and visions that's occurring over in the Middle East, over in these highly populated Islamic nations where the word of God is squelched and there's no copy of the scriptures, that they're having these dreams and visions of coming to Jesus Christ, just like it says uh, there in scripture in the end times. But I'm here to tell you, we as born again child of, children of God in the West, we are privileged to have not only one copy of the word of God but we have copies all over the place and the problem is we don't read it we don't read it the Bible says in John chapter 8 verse 47 the scripture says this he that is of God heareth God's words ye therefore hear them not because you're not of God you know the reason why you don't hear God's voice is because it's probably because you're not of God one of the challenges that we exist today is in regards to reading. People hate to read. But the bottom line is simply this, when you get born again, when you truly give your heart to Jesus, when you surrender to him, you want to hear the master's voice. And when the master speaks, you want to see what, hear what the master says. And not only do you want to know his voice and hear his voice and do know his voice. number two, the second thing you see here in this text is you obey his direction. If you want to build courage with your commitment to Jesus Christ, not only do you have to be knowing His voice, but you've also got to obey His direction. Look at verse number 11, if you would. The Bible says this. So the Lord said to Ananias, Arise and go. Man, I think it is fascinating to me. It is so fascinating. Every time God moves in an individual, He does not call them just to sit and soak. He calls them to arise and go. That's exactly what he called uh, Saul to do on the road to Damascus. Look up, if you would, at verse number 6. At verse 6, the Bible says, So he, being Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? There's his conversion. He recognized Jesus Christ as God and says, God, what do you want me to do? I know that you are the Messiah. And the Messiah said to him, Arise and go. But look at the specific nature of his going. He says, go to the city and I will, and you will be told what you must do. He says, I want you to go into that city and I want you to find Judas' house, go into Judas' house, stay there and wait. You're blind, he's not eating anything, it's three days now, but here's what I find fascinating, he is obeying God's direction. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to obeying God's direction, we see two beautiful illustrations here. The first one is, arise and go. God has called you not to sit and soak. He's called you to arise and go. While you are going, the Bible says in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, you are to be making disciples while you're going to the grocery store, while you're going to the car wash, while you're going to Walmart. Everywhere you go, while you're going to work, while you're at work, while you're working, you ought to be showing the love of Jesus Christ and living it out with your lifestyle and also using your language. But here's what I find fascinating about this uh, arise and go. When you arise and go, after you get there, sometimes God says, stay and wait. Arise and go, And then when you get there, stay and wait. Now, that's vastly different than sitting and soaking. Born again children of God, Uh, they get saved and they just like to come and sit and soak. And they get all this knowledge, but they do not appropriate it in their lives. And by not appropriating it in their lives, they, they got all this knowledge, but they have no spiritual victory. And they wonder why they do not have the abundant life. Because you're not appropriating the Word of God. So if the Scripture says, Arise and go, and if I'm going to build my commitment to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to build my courage in that commitment, then I'm going to hear His voice, and then I'm going to obey His direction. I'm going to arise and go. And then when I get there, sometimes God says, Stay and wait. Look at verse number 12 again. The Bible tells us here in the Scriptures, And in a vision, in a vision, the Bible says, He, being Saul, has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Saul's not going anywhere. Now, you've got to remember who Saul is. Saul's a chief persecutor. He just got saved. He's used to going. He's the one that took the initiative to go get the arrest warrants to go to Damascus to get these Christians under his control. And now he has been knocked off his horse. He has confessed that the very one that Stephen was talking about is truly the Messiah, to which he witnessed with his own eyes the stoning, and he approved of the stoning of Stephen, the death of Stephen, the persecution, and the martyrdom of Stephen. Now Saul has got to be patient because he is no longer in control of his life. He has surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And in that surrender, God has told him, arise and go. And then when you get there, stay and wait. And Saul didn't know how long he's got to stay and wait. That's the amazing thing about God and what God does. His ways are not our ways. And a lot of times we think we fail God because we know that God said, arise and go. And we arose and went. And we didn't see anything happen. And we give up and we quit just before God works. So what do you mean? Man, I heard a beautiful story uh, that occurred back in 1912. It was about a medical missionary by the name of Dr. William Leslie. Dr. William Leslie went to live uh, as a minister to the tribal people in the remote corner of the Democratic Republic of Congo. He surrendered it all. God said, arise and go. And he says, I'm going, Lord. And he got over there to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And he stayed there for 17 years. And in that 17-year period, not one person came to Christ. In that 17-year period, he did not see one convert. Not one move. Not one church plant. Not one church start. He didn't start any churches. And he thought, he said, I have failed. So he packed up all of his stuff and he came back to the US and as he got back as he got back to his to his home he uh, retired 9 years later he died and he died feeling like he had failed to make an impact for Jesus Christ but in 2010 a team led by Eric Ramsey and Tom Cox, who are world missionaries, they made a shocking discovery. They went to the location where Dr. William Leslie was located. And when they got there, they found a network of reproducing churches hidden like diamonds in the jungle. What Dr. Leslie did not know was that after he'd left, those individuals began to ponder the thoughts of eternity. And one by one, they gave their heart to Christ and remembered the teaching of Dr. William Leslie. And when it was all said and done, many churches were starting. The challenge of Dr. Leslie's heart was he failed to wait on the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, you may not know why you're where you are today, You may be struggling with the fact that God said arise and go, and you went, you got up and went. And now you're like, I don't see the Lord doing anything. I don't see the Lord working in my life. I don't understand. Maybe you're like Saul. And it's time for you to stay and wait. That's very different than sitting and soaking. Sitting and soaking is knowing that God's got a plan for your life, and God's moving in your life, and God wants you to exercise the gifts and talents that He's given you, and you refuse to do it. But sitting and waiting is knowing that God's called you to a specific location, a specific situation, a specific task. And now God is waiting to see if you will continue to be faithful even in the difficult time that's before you. I've seen God do this in businesses. I've seen individuals get a job and say, I know God gave me this job. I just don't know why it's not being successful. Because God's got you in a stay and wait. I've seen individuals struggle with this, with their salvation, when they uh, come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. I know God's got a plan for my life, but I don't know what it is, because God's got you going to stay and wait. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to wait on the Lord, because when you wait on the Lord, specific things begin to happen. Let me give you three. Number one, when you wait on the Lord, your heart gains Courage. Your heart gains courage. Psalms chapter 27, verse 14, David said this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. A lot of times we uh, are waiting, but we're not waiting for the Lord to move. We're just waiting and being impatient. Wait for the Lord. The Lord is trying to teach you something in the season that you're in. Let your heart get courage as you're waiting on the Lord. Number two, your strength is renewed. Isaiah chapter 20 verse 31 says this, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Oh, brothers and sisters in Jesus, when you wait on the Lord, that strength inside of you is renewed to new heights so that you can accomplish the task that God has set you out to do. And then number three, when you wait on the Lord, your soul finds rest. Psalms chapter 37, 7, the Bible says this, rest. In the Lord and wait patiently for Him. We are such an impatient people. We're living in a day where we just go, 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 go. We fill up every single moment of every single minute. And when the Lord tells us to arise and go. And then He says stay and wait. And He gets us in a position to listen to His Word. And to hear what He has to say. A lot of times we become impatient. Just like Dr. Leslie. I don't know how long you're going to be in that situation, friend. You may be in it another year. You may be in it another, like Dr. Lizzie, another 17 years. It may take 20 years. But how long are you willing to wait on the Lord? The Scripture says, Arise and go. But then He says, Stay and wait. Commitment takes that kind of courage. And then number three, watch this. The third thing we see here in the text is if we're, going to grow, if we're going to grow our courage in regards to our commitment to Jesus Christ, it means being faithful even when it doesn't make sense. Being faithful even when it doesn't make sense. say, man, preacher said, that don't make any sense. You're right, it didn't make any sense to Ananias the disciple either. Did you see what he said in the text? The Bible says in verse number 13, he goes on uh, to say, or excuse me, in verse 13, Ananias answered and said, Lord... I have heard from you, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. You see what Ananias is doing here? Ananias is making a appeal. He's appealing to God. When you stay and wait, you can appeal to God. And so we find here that Ananias is staying and waiting on the Lord, and he gets his assignment. And his assignment is to arise and go, and go to where, uh, if you would, uh, where Saul is. Now he's questioning God. Say, well, I don't know about this, God. I mean, I know you called me to Damascus, and I'm a believer in Damascus. And I've been here in Damascus, waiting on you to move in Damascus. And yet now, here comes Saul. Who has authority, who has these papers from the chief priests and scribes to arrest Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem? And if they don't go to kill them, that's the Saul you want me to go to? I've heard he's a dangerous man. Are you sure you want me to do this, God? You can appeal to God when you're staying and waiting. And sometimes God, when you're following after Him, will give you an answer, He'll give you an explanation. Look at what the Bible says in verse 15. He gave an explanation. But you notice the explanation only came after the command, Go. See, God is looking for obedience without an explanation. But God in His great sovereignty and in His great love saw fit through Ananias because of His discipleship, because of His love for the Lord, because of His commitment that He had, and because of the courage that He's building in His life to know God's voice, to obey God's direction, even when it doesn't make sense. He's going to do it, and so God says, Go, but here's the reason why I want you to go. Because, He says, look at what the white scripture says, the word for in, that, in the Greek is because, because... He is a chosen vessel of mine. He's mine. To bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I wonder back to the story of that Indonesian missionary I was with, or that missionary to Indonesia. God spoke to him before we got there, weeks before we got, and said, Go to the island, and sit down with the imam. What if that missionary would have said, God, he don't worship the same God as I do. Uh, he, he, he does not believe the same thing I do. In, in fact, we're on two top, totally opposite ends of the spectrum. How, how in the world would you want me to do that? What if that missionary had said that? If we had just showed up on that island that missionary did not have that meeting with that imam, I could be serving today in Indonesia as a missionary in that prison. Why did he do that? Because he heard God's voice. He obeyed God's direction even if it didn't make sense. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I promise you God is not going to tell you to do something that's contrary to His Word. And the desire of God's heart is that the nations would come to Him. And in order for us to accomplish the task of the Great Commission, it's going to take born-again children of God that has great courage in their commitment to the Lord to be willing to put themselves out there And to share a good word about Jesus Christ. More than just living it before them. Using our language to talk to them about Jesus. We see that commitment takes courage. But there's a second thing we see about commitment here. Let me show it to you very quickly as my time is getting away. The second thing we see in verse 17 through 20. Is that commitment also takes action. Commitment takes action. Brothers and sisters, you can be courageous all day long and talk about your courageousness, but until you put them some action to it, it's all talking, no show. Brothers and sisters, we see that this commitment that Ananias had. This commitment that Saul had, this commitment was one of which that, take, that had to take some action. Some action had to be taken. What was the action that was taken? Look at what the Bible says in verse number 17. The Bible says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. He didn't call him the enemy. He had, hey, he hadn't heard his testimony yet. He took God at his word. Dennis, here we find an illustration where a missionary heard from God and said, I believe you, God. You say he's saved, I believe he's saved. Brother Saul, he goes on to tell us in the text, he says, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit immediately there fell fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight, and he arose and was baptized. Man, there's a lot happening here, but the thing I want you to notice here, the action that was taken was that Saul was being filled with the Spirit. Did you see it there in the text? I would underline it if you got your pens. He was filled with the Spirit. See, remember, when when God spoke to Ananias, he said, go over to where Saul is, lay your hands on him, and and he's had a vision he's going to receive his sight. But he needed more than just his vision. He needed to be filled with the Spirit. Now, now when we look at this passage of Scripture, we uh, have to ask ourselves the question, wh- what is the difference between being indwelt with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? Because as born-again children of God, you can't read the Word of God and walk away with it and not see that there are two totally different things. There is this thing, the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And then there is this other thing, the uh, uh, fulfilling or the filling of the Spirit of God. What does it mean? What does the indwelling of the Spirit mean? And when does it happen? According to the Word of God, from the lips of a man that God's named Saul who later changed his name to Paul, or went by his name Paul, he wrote to the Romans, and as he wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he tells us that this indwelling occurs when we first believe, and it does not occur 20 years later. Rather, it occurs right when you receive Christ as Savior. Saul says this, which begs the question, when did Saul receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God? He received that indwelling when he was converted, when he got saved on the road to Damascus. So, what is this feeling that we find here in the text? What does it mean that when Ananias laid his hands and he received his sight and he was filled with the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, there is only one indwelling, but there are many fillings. Now, I want you to think about it. Think about it, Roger. Man, this is a beautiful picture of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Saul has been blind for three days. He has just had three days earlier an encounter that he's never had before. God literally knocked him off his high horse. He received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. To the point where after it was all over, he opened his eyes and he was blind. He could not see the people he was traveling with. The people that he was traveling with heard what was going on, but they didn't see anything. Now Saul can't even see them. And Saul says, I've got to go to a man by the name of Judas' house in Damascus. Take me there, please. And they led him. Here's a man that was a leader. Now he's having to be led by the ones that are traveling with him. The servants are taking him, if you would, to Judas's house. He doesn't know how long he's got to stay there. God said, I want you to go there. I'll tell you when I'm ready for you. Isn't that just like God? He doesn't know if he's going to be there one day. He doesn't know if he's going to be there ten days. He doesn't eat anything. He's praying. There is no doubt he is weak, sad, depressed, And by day three, he is probably questioning whether or not what he experienced is true. I don't even know what had happened to me. Here I am. I am in this house. This is the house of Judas. The last person that was named Judas that I remember betrayed Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And he went out and hung himself. And I just had an experience three days earlier That God spoke and said, I am Jesus. I confessed him as Jesus and said, what do you want me to do? And here I am in a house of a man that is named Judas waiting on another man by the name of Ananias to put his hands on me. And one day passes, nothing. Two days pass, nothing. Three days passed, and I don't know how long into that third day, but I'm telling you, it must have been a state of discouragement and despair and distress and even questioning whether or not what had happened to him was real. Have you ever been in a situation like that? And then all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. Brother Saul, my name's Ananias. The Lord Jesus that you met on that road has told me to come and lay my hands on you. And when he laid his hands on him, watch this. A man that was saved and had the indwelling of the Spirit of God was then again filled up with the Spirit and encouraged by another disciple, another brother that had come and laid his hands and prayed for him. You see, the filling of the Spirit occurs many times. And the reason why is because we live in a sin-sick world. And you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get depressed. You're going to have heartache. You're not going to live on the mountaintop your whole life. You're going to need the Holy Spirit's filling. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, I preached my heart out in first service. And I'm doing everything I can to preach my heart out this service. And then I'll go again and preach my heart out on the third service. And many ask, how in the world do you do that, preacher? I just don't see how you do that. How do you do it? I depend upon the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Because what you need to hear is different than what the 8 o'clock service needed to hear. And I promise you, what those 9.30 folks, what those 11 o'clock folks are going to hear, be different than what you need to hear. But the principles are all the same. And you've got to find out, what is it that God's trying to tell me? Maybe it's this. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God. I meet people all the time. They know that they're saved. They know, Man, they'll tell you, man, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I know that if I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But man, I just am not living the abundant life. And I'll, I'll say this. Well, Let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, are you reading your Bible? Well, I mean, when I go to Sunday school, I read it. But, but I don't read it every day. Well, let me ask you a second question. Are you praying? Well, I, I pray for my meals. I mean, but I, I, mean I, I, I ask God to bless my meals. I mean, that, that, that's about it. Are you involved in a small group Sunday school class of like-minded believers that where you can have fellowship and encouragement? No, I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't do that. I don't have time for that. Well, and you're wondering why you're not living the abundant life. I'll tell you the reason why you're not living the abundant life. You're not filled with the Spirit. You know the Spirit indwells inside of you, but here's what, here's what you're doing. You have a war going on inside of you. You've got the flesh that is... That's what you see today. You see my flesh. You see me standing here. There's the flesh. But on the other side, you've got the Spirit. The flesh is in the world, but the Spirit is connected to God. On March twenty second, 1988, I got filled with the Spirit of God. He indwelled me within inside of me. He changed my life forever and took a timid, shy, 14-year-old little boy and said, I want to use you, you ignorant little Alabamian. And he put me on a solid rock. He saved my soul and gave me a voice and a word to preach God is good. with the Spirit of God. Indwelled by the Spirit of God. And I'm going to tell you what, it changed me. It's changed me forever. My desire is to read the Word. My desire is to go to church. I mean, my wife didn't have to get up this morning, look under the bed and said, honey, you the preacher, you got to come out and go preach. She didn't have to do that. Man, I got up and I was ready to come to church. Ready to preach. Ready to be with fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Sometimes, because we live in this sin-sick world, we leak out the joy. We leak out the hope. And only the Holy Spirit can fill you back up again. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Man, I'm out of time. He says this. He says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. To the praise of His glory. When Paul says, when you got saved, you were sealed with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, it's your responsibility to go to the gas station of faith and fill up every time it goes to E. Number two, not only does the commitment take action in being filled with the Spirit, it also will. As my time is up, I've got to close. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once, He w- and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. Two things here. Number one, he was baptized. He was baptized into the fellowship of believers, just like Holly was today. She was baptized into the fellowship of believers and into Jesus Christ, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. We see that too. The second thing is you see in the text is this, dis, this discipleship and this fellowship that they have, one with another. Did you see it there in the text? He says he spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. You have to have fellowship with others. One of the action points, if you're going to be committed to Jesus Christ, then coming to church is not enough. You need to be with other believers. And then number three, here's the last thing, being fearless in speaking the gospel being fearless in speaking the gospel. Look at verse number 20. The scripture says, Immediately, immediately Saul preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Did you see where his courage came from? The courage that he had. He was committed to Jesus Christ. He obeyed God by hearing his voice. He obeyed his direction, went to Judas' house. He was, he was being faithful even when it did not make sense to him. And then we find that it took action, that after God did what he said he was going to do, moved upon his life, he told him to take action. And the action that he took was, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was in fellowship with other saints, and he was fearless in speaking the gospel. He did not go out on the front steps of Judas' house and say, all right, y'all gather around, let me share the gospel. No, he went straight to the synagogue. Remember, back in Jerusalem, that's where he went, to the high priest to get the arrest warrants. Now he's going into the synagogue. where he's supposed to be arresting and belligerent Christians that have trusted Christ. And he's saying, I was wrong. Jesus is the Messiah. I'm not here to arrest you. I'm here to let Jesus arrest you. And if you'll get arrested by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you can be set free from the bondage of sin and death and hell and the grave. And that message has been proclaimed ever since the day he got his sight and he walked out and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this question. In regards to the commitment that you have to Jesus Christ, are you so committed to Jesus that you are strengthening your courage and it's moving you to action? If so, what is it that God's calling you to do? Brothers and sisters, we're going to blink our eyes, and this year will be over. Thank God. Can I get a witness right there? Knowing the fact that the Lord never tarries His coming, He comes just exactly on the right time. I would like to put 2021 as a year of rebuilding. And as we set the task and set our hearts to rebuild... we're going to need people to help us with our children. We're going to need people to help us with our babies. We're going to need people to help us in small groups, on campus and off campus. We're going to need people to help us with baptisms. We're going to need people to help us with greeting people and telling people how how to connect with us. Yes, 2020 has turned everything up. But I truly believe God's not done with us yet. And what he needs from us more than anything is the same thing he got from Ananias and Saul. And that's a commitment that takes courage and takes action. Are you there? Will you follow? Do you hear what God's saying today? Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here and maybe you're like Holly. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that you just don't have freedom. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that if you died today, you're not sure where you'd spend in eternity. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that you never really truly gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And Friend, what you need to do today is to stop playing games, stop playing church, and surrender to God. Surrender, just like, just like Paul did. Surrender to him, just like he did. Just like Ananias did, surrender. Just like Holly did, surrender. Have you surrendered to God today, dear brother and sister? See, there are two types of people that need to surrender today. Those that have never trusted Christ, you need to surrender for salvation. And those of you that have trusted Christ, that are struggling, you need to surrender to the filling of the Holy Spirit. He's dwelling inside of you. You're just empty. You need to be full again. The Bible says if you'll repent, you'll confess your sins and repent. He's faithful and just to forgive all unrighteousness. If you're born again, if you're saved, and you're not living the abundant Christian life, I want to challenge you right where you're sitting today to trust Christ. Will you do that today? Say, how do I do that, preacher? Would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to save me. I repent of my sins. I trust you as my Savior. I believe. Thank you for changing me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.